You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning, everybody. And thank you, Elise. And yeah, like she said, it's just as, uh, it's a joy to get to do a couple times this summer, just all one service and do our picnic right after that. It's just fun to, uh, to remember. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that this was every Sunday. So like even this morning, I got up and it felt really an oddly long period of time before I came to church, like from compared to most weeks. Um, but it's been fun to, to consider both um, the grace God has shown us over the years uh, leading up to where we are now and even the, the people that God's continued to bring to our community uh, in these recent years that required us to go to two services. So especially those of you guys that are like crammed into the little welcome area and like all on the back wall and stuff, thank you for, for uh, putting up with that uh, today. Hey, if you have Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 61. Uh, this morning, it's page 478, if you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles that Elise mentioned just a moment ago. And we are, uh, this morning, kicking off a brand new sermon series that we're calling A People of Prayer, Becoming a Community of Active Dependence. If, if you're a Christian, and I know for many of us in the room, that's, that's true of us, we're Christians, uh, you probably recognize something of the importance of prayer. And you probably yourself pray, at least sometimes. Uh, Along with Bible study, prayer is one of the the nine rhythms of grace that we talk about a lot here at Liberty Church. These nine regular rhythms and habits that are always meant to be part of the Christian life. Uh, And most of us are on board with that idea that we should be praying daily. We should be praying regularly, communicating with our God and Father. The real questions are, why do we pray? Why do we pray? And for what do we pray? What's the real purpose of prayer? A recent Barna study concluded that prayer is by far the most common spiritual practice among Americans. But people pray mostly alone. The study says, quote, it's a solitary activity defined primarily by the immediate needs and concerns of the individual. It's a solitary activity defined primarily by the immediate needs and concerns of the individual. In other words, many of us do pray, but we pray alone. And typically we pray only for ourselves or maybe the immediate circle of people that's, that's just around us. Now, in contrast to that, the prayer lives of Christians in the early church, uh, the prayer lives of, of faithful Christians throughout the centuries have been fueled by a pervasive feeling sense of dependence upon God, an active and communal dependence. And so this summer, we're going to explore what it looks like to become not only a a collection of individuals who pray, but a people of prayer, people of prayer. There's some really great resources uh, out there on prayer. We're going to draw upon a variety of them uh, over the weeks ahead. But the overall framework for this sermon series comes from a 2014 book Uh, by Tim Keller. The book is called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. And in a particular chapter of that book, Tim Keller attempts to assimilate uh, a great deal of the collected biblical wisdom as well as practices about prayer. And so we essentially took that chapter from his book and turned it into a sermon series. Uh, As many of you know, Tim Keller passed away uh, just about a month ago. And so as we're kicking off this series today framed by a chapter from from one of his books, I just wanted to take a moment this morning to to honor him. Uh, I owe a lot of my 
hope and vision for the local church to Tim Keller. Uh, my, my views of pastoral ministry, uh, my philosophy of ministry, if you're familiar with that phrase, uh, my desire to be both faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and also present uh, in this time and place that God has put me, put you, I, I owe that to him. I've been shaped by him immensely in that. And I'm hardly alone uh, in that for, for a lot of people, for a lot of pastors. Uh, Tim Keller has been one of the most helpful anchoring voices for the past three decades plus even. Uh, and whether you, you recognize it or not, if there are things about this church that you appreciate, you've, you've come to appreciate some of the way we, we do things, you almost certainly owe Tim Keller a debt of gratitude for that. Like, I'm not smart enough to come up with that stuff on my own. So if you appreciate certain things about our church, you, you appreciate Tim Keller probably. So even though we had mapped out this series before he passed away, uh, even though we're doing this series because we long to grow into a people of prayer. That, that's why we're doing it. But you can also consider this series in a way our tribute uh, to Tim Keller. May he rest in the peace of Jesus. He's been an incredible gift to me and to, to many. And so to begin our series this morning, we're going to consider that prayer requires dependence. Prayer requires dependence. Tim Keller said it this way, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. We might know that in theory. We might nod when we, when we hear those words. But this morning, as we open Psalm 61, Let's together observe a man who is crying out to God from a place of deep dependence. And let's this morning ask the Spirit of God to show us not only our own dependence, but how good our dependence really is. So let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll dive into Psalm 61. Lord God, we ask this morning that you would help us to know your ways, that you would teach us your paths, we ask, Spirit of God, that you would lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation, and it is for you that we wait all day long. We pray this in the name of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is Psalm 61. To the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O oh God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is God's word. Psalm 61 is split into two parts. They're not equal, but there are two parts. The first, verses one through five, is where David is speaking personally, just a man before God. So that's written in, in first person. But in the second part, verses 6 and 7 in particular, David switches to writing in the third person. He writes from his position as the king over the people of Israel. In both, we see his dependence. 
And we see that prayer, which is what this psalm is, a cry, a, a prayer to God, we see here that prayer requires dependence. So in light of Psalm 61, let's spend the rest of our time talking about these two ways in which prayer requires dependence. There's personal dependence. We depend upon God for our own sake. And there's also positional dependence. We depend upon God for the sake of those who are depending upon us. So first, let's talk about personal dependence. Apart from any uh, position or role that we occupy, we are dependent people. We're dependent people. David opens this psalm not primarily as King David, but simply as a needy man, a desperate man, a man who needs help. Most scholars believe that David wrote this psalm while he was fleeing from his son Absalom. If you want to reference that whole story later today or sometime this week, it's in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18. But here are just some of the the quick highlights. Absalom is one of King David's sons. Absalom murders his half-brother, another one of King David's sons, after that brother had violated their sister, which which is as horrific and as dysfunctional as it sounds. After that murder, Absalom runs away. He runs away from Jerusalem. And he's away from Jerusalem for a few years before David pursues him and and invites him to come back. When Absalom then returns to Jerusalem, he starts to, to build a posse of disgruntled people. He starts to build a posse around himself. Eventually, he amasses an army big enough that he declares himself king And he plans to invade Jerusalem, attack Jerusalem, and and kill David and take his throne. But before that attack, David finds out, and along with a number of people who are are loyal to him, he flees from Jerusalem across the Jordan River. And it's there, away from home, away from his throne, in this temporary exile, that David pens this psalm that we're reading today. A needy heart is a praying heart. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. That's how Paul Miller puts it in in one of his two books on prayer. We're going to quote him, I'm sure, more in this series. I'll quote him more even today. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. And David in this moment is a needy, dependent man. And so he prays, he opens this psalm, Hear my cry, O God. And that word for cry means a loud, desperate shout. It means an emphatic plea for help. His heart, as he says, is faint. So even though he's only across the Jordan River, maybe a few dozen miles from Jerusalem, his circumstances make it feel to him like he is at the very end of the earth. He's been forced from his home. His his family is in turmoil. Everything about his life has been completely upended. And that helplessness and that desperation and that dependence gives birth to prayer. A needy heart, a dependent heart is a praying heart. Now, the problem is, a lot of the time, we don't see how dependent, desperate, needy, and helpful we actually are. A couple of years ago, I was with a a small group of church planters, and we actually got to spend the day with with Paul Miller, the the author I just quoted a moment ago. Uh, We spent our time with him talking through a lot of things related to spiritual formation, Uh, but as he is an author that's written a lot about prayer, we spent a lot of our time that day talking about, about prayer. I learned a lot from that day with him, but there is one particular moment that is etched into my brain forever. 
During our discussion, a friend of mine, one of the other pastors there, started to ask Paul how he could make prayer a more significant part of his life, how he could make prayer a more central part of his, of his ministry as a pastor. So like me, and maybe this is like you too, this pastor shared how he's had times where he's been really consistent in prayer, he's cultivated a life of prayer, but he's had other times where, where prayer is basically non-existent. And so he asked Paul Miller, hey Paul, why is that? Why don't I pray more often why don't I pray more consistently? Paul, calmly, intently, turned to look at him. And he didn't say anything. He just kept looking at him in the eyes. And it was probably about 30 seconds. But 30 seconds for someone to look you in the eyes and say nothing, that feels like a really long time. Like that's, that's an eternity of silence when someone is looking at you. It feels like they're looking into your soul. And that's what it felt like Paul Miller was doing. So then after this 30 seconds of silence, just looking my friend directly in the eye, he said, the reason you don't pray is because you are far too confident in yourself and far too confident in your own abilities. And surprisingly, no one had any more questions for Paul. Like that was... <laughs> discussion. They were like, all right, that's it. We're not asking anything else. Okay. Now that could just have easily been me on the other side of Paul's gaze, right? And those words, I struggle to pray consistently. It's one of the places in my life where I am prone to functionally live as an atheist or as a deist, as if the existence of God, in other words, is inconsequential. I, I tend to live as though at the end of the day, what's really important, what's really going to be more effective is more of my time more of my words, more of my energy and effort and exertion. The reason I don't pray, and perhaps the reason that, that maybe you don't pray more often, is because you are far too confident in yourself. Because it's far too easy for you and for me to forget how dependent we always are. Right now, though, in this moment, in this moment some of us feel our dependence acutely. And that's just the things that I and the elders have, have become aware of in, in your life, even making eye contact with so many of you that are here this morning, just the things that I'm aware of, let alone the things we have no idea about. Some of you are just in it right now. You are at the very end of your strength. You're at the very end of your rope. I would say to you this morning, turn your dependence into prayer. Turn your dependence into prayer. Let your helplessness lead you to cry out to God. Let your needy heart become a praying heart. And more specifically, let your dependence lead you to pray like David prays here in this psalm. Each week during this, this sermon series, in addition to teaching about prayer, uh, we're going to call you, we're going to call us as a community to actually pray. Uh, we're going to call you to put some kind of prayer into practice. Right? God forbid that we become experts in the doctrine of prayer and stop short of actually praying. Uh, this series is not meant to give us like master's degrees in prayer. It's meant to, God willing, form us into people who pray. And so every week, the, the application point, I'm kind of ruining the whole series for you here. I'm giving it to you on the front end. The application point every week is going to be, now go pray. Okay? But rather than just say that over and over again, each week we're going to try to offer a specific practice or two. We're going to try to build your, your tool belt, as it were, with different practices you can use in your own prayer life individually and communally with other people. 
And in that way, together, we're, we're asking God to make this series not primarily intellectual, but formational. We're asking God to make this series experiential in the best possible sense of that word. And so this morning, in light of David's prayer of dependence here in Psalm 61, learn to pray in pictures. Learn to pray in pictures. In other words, pray by meditating on the pictures that God has given us in Scripture, which depict both our dependence and the strength and safety that is found in God. I don't know if you noticed that, but but that's actually the content of David's prayer, a lot of it. After he cries out to God in desperation, he, he proceeds to pray through a series of pictures. God is the higher rock, infinitely more steady and unshakable than we are, and higher than we are, above me, above my circumstances. He's the higher rock. God is the strong tower, impenetrable to attacks from the enemy, whether that's a literal physical enemy like David often experienced or a spiritual enemy, the spiritual warfare that we experience in life. God is the tent that David wants to dwell in forever. The tabernacle, in other words, the sanctuary, the safe haven for David. And God is the shelter, the one who offers a refuge, a covering under his wings. It's this really beautiful, intimate picture of God's tender care and protection of his children. See, without being hidden from the world, without being able to hide from your circumstances in your life, you can still be hidden in God. You can still be hidden in God. We don't have time to unpack all these pictures in depth, but let me just single out this one picture of God as the tent because it's especially meaningful given the the context of Psalm 61. When David was getting ready to flee from Jerusalem, when he heard that Absalom was coming to take his throne and take his life, the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant out of the tent, out of the tabernacle where, where God's presence dwelt with the people. And as they prepared to send it with David away from Jerusalem, they were going to send the ark with him and those loyal to him. David says, hang on a second. Something isn't right about this. Who am I to protect and defend God? It's the other way around. It's the other way around. He does not need my safety and my shelter and my security. I'm the one who needs his. And so he tells the priests, you know what? Actually, keep the ark here. Put it back in the tent. He has this clear thought in that moment Somehow God is in this. And and if this is what God has for me, then God can just as easily bring me back to this place. God will bring me back and let me see both the ark and his tent again. And perhaps it was that very day or maybe a day or two later as he's then in exile writing this psalm, David prays the picture of the tent, the tabernacle. And he prays the picture of the rock and the tower and the sheltering wings, pictures of both his deep dependence but also of God's strength and safety. And so these pictures, in addition to others that God gives us in his word, can make your prayers, my prayers, vivid. They can take abstract concepts like God is strong and make them a lot more concrete. So this week, I just would invite you, pray in pictures. Use the ones that are here in Psalm 61 or dig through other texts in scripture, the Psalms in particular, and find other pictures that you can pray. Recognize your helplessness and your neediness and your dependence and let that for you become a heartbeat of prayer. Second, second thing to talk about this morning, positional 
dependence. If that's personal dependence, let's talk about positional dependence. As David continues to pray, there's an additional kind of dependence that becomes evident. He is dependent upon God for his own sake, but he's also dependent upon God for the sake of all these other people who are depending upon him. So though though in one sense, he is just a man on his face before God in this moment. He is also, at the very same moment, the king of Israel, the anointed leader of the people of God. And in this moment, his own life and his own family, they're in turmoil, but so is the entire kingdom. The rightful king is gone from Jerusalem. A usurper is claiming the throne. And that's why in verse 6, he switches from writing in the first person to writing in the third person. He says there in verse 6, prolong the life of the king. Well, that's him. That's the same person. But he's writing, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. See, feeling the weight of all the other people in his life and the impact of his position on them, he is crying out to God for their sake too. Now, in one sense, you and I are like David here. In another sense, we are not like David at all. So as king, David is the representative head of the people of God. When God established David's throne in Israel, the destiny of the people, the destiny of that nation state became inextricably linked with the destiny of the king. As goes the king, so goes the kingdom. Now, no doubt, you have significant roles and responsibilities in your life. Uh, Your life, no doubt, it has incredible, legitimate importance. But you are not the representative head of the people of God. Uh, If you're ever prone to think about your own life through the grid of, as goes the king, so goes the kingdom, calm down, (laughs) okay? Calm down, take a deep breath. You're not David. You're not David. Now, having said that, having said that, the vast majority of us have people who depend on us, friends who depend on us, family members who depend on us, employers, clients, for some of us, a spouse, for some of us, children, real flesh and blood people, fellow image bearers of God. Your life affects other people's lives, sometimes in in massive ways. And the weight of that can be crushing, can be crushing. I think the writers of Encanto, the Disney movie that came out a couple years ago, songs that like stick in your head forever, if you've listened to that, if you've watched that movie, I think that the writers of Encanto nailed this particular point with the the character Luisa, the older sister in that family. As the oldest, she's the strong one, both literally, that's like like her her magic, is she's the, the strong one, but also figuratively, in her family. And she feels this immense pressure to carry everything and to hold everything in her family together. But as she puts it in her song, the weight of other people's dependence is always threatening to break her. What will be, as she sings it, the flaw, the crack, the straw in the stack that breaks the camel's back? She continues, give it to your sister, your sister's stronger, See if she can hang on a little longer. Who am I if I can't carry it all, if I falter? That's often how we try to deal with with our positional dependence. When people depend on us, 
We try to rise to the occasion. We try to stand up underneath the weight of that. We try to carry it well. And there's something that's really good and right about that. Even as we were talking last week about serving, we want to be people who put ourselves forward in low places. We, we want to be people who are willing to carry others' burdens. But listen, if you have any hope of standing up under the weight of another human being's dependence on you, you had better find yourself crying out in dependence on something far bigger and stronger than yourself. Whoever it is that depends on you, whatever position you might hold at this moment or any other moment in your life, that position will break you if you are not first personally dependent. You will never have the strength to offer another if you do not first recognize your own weakness and turn to God for his strength. You can never be any kind of rock for another person if you are not looking to, clinging to, standing on the rock that is higher than I, on God himself. You will never be able to carry another person's burdens if you refuse to let God carry you. And that, friends, is one of many reasons to become people of prayer. It it can feel counterintuitive, but the most effective way for you and I to faithfully own the responsibility of different positions that we hold is actually not to put in more hours of work. It's to remember our dependence and it's to cry out to God. Paul Miller says it this way, prayer is where I do my best work as a husband, dad, worker, and friend. I'm aware of the weeds of unbelief in me and the struggles in others' lives. The Holy Spirit puts his finger on issues that only he can solve. I'm actually managing my life through my daily prayer time. I'm shaping my heart, my work, my family, in fact, everything that is dear to me through prayer in fellowship with my heavenly father. He continues, I'm doing that because I don't have control over my heart and life or the hearts and lives of those around me, but God does. God does. So as we've said, one specific takeaway from Psalm 61 is to pray in pictures. Pray in pictures. The other one I want to offer you today is to pray the promises. Pray the promises. When we recognize our dependence, both personally and positionally, And when that then leads us rightfully to cry out in prayer to God, one of the specific things we're meant to remember and to pray are God's promises. When David here feels the weight of his position, when it's threatening to crush him, this is exactly what David does. He prays back to God the promises that God made to him. When God made David king and set him on the throne, God made David a promise. He made a covenant with David. And God said in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I will establish the throne of his, that is David's kingdom, forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Do you recognize the language? It's the same thing that David's praying in Psalm 61. It's what God said to him in 2 Samuel 7. In this moment, when it seems like maybe that's over, like David's reign and throne might actually be finished, David goes back to and prays this promise. May the king be enthroned forever. Prolong his life. May may his years endure. In other words, David is saying, God, you promised. You promised. Don't let this be the end. Remember what you said. Don't let this be the end. 
Again, you and I are not David. You and I have not been given specific personal promises or covenants like David was in 2 Samuel. So God did not promise you a specific outcome for your position, whatever that might be. God didn't promise you what your friendships would look like, what your relationships with your family of origin would look like. God did not promise you what your marriage would look like or what your relationship with your kids would look like in the different seasons that that goes through. God didn't promise you what job or what title or what salary you might hold and for how long you would or would not hold that. But as it turns out, the same promise that David prays here actually makes all the difference in your life too. See, as as the people of Israel continued to recite and sing these words long after David's life was over, as new kings came and went, Psalm 61 became not just a personal or positional prayer of dependence, it became a reminder of the unbreakable promises of God. Though David's body was in a tomb in Jerusalem, decomposing, an eternal king was still coming to sit on an eternal throne. And so when, about a thousand years after David wrote this psalm, the angel Gabriel appeared to a teenage girl named Mary and said in Luke chapter 1, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. When Gabriel said that to Mary, this promise that David prayed here came true. This promise was fulfilled. And this morning, in this very moment, and for days without number, without end, Jesus Christ is the eternal king enthroned before God. Amen? Amen. And so when you pray, when I pray this promise from Psalm 61, even though we are not David, even though we are not the king, when we pray this promise, we locate our life and our circumstances, ourselves, we locate the other people we're praying for. We locate all of that securely in the eternal promises of God. Promises that find their yes and their amen in the incarnation and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. When you pray this promise, you remember that that in your neediness and in your desperation and in your dependence, Jesus Christ remains on his throne. That his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That he is a king who is reconciling the world to himself. That he is a king who is making all things new. So pray the promises. Jesus will reign forever. And that means the safest, most secure place you can be is dependent on a king like him. Pray the promises and pray in pictures because ultimately that's who they're depicting to. What they are depicting is Jesus. The rock that is higher, the apostle Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 10, and the rock was Christ. The sheltering wings, Jesus says when he comes into Jerusalem, the same city where David was fleeing from, Jesus says in Luke 13, he's like the hen longing to gather children under his wings longing to gather his children securely to himself. And the tent, the tabernacle that we long to dwell in forever, John writes in the opening of his gospel that when Jesus, the word, became flesh, he dwelt among us. And that word is the word for, for, that's the same word that we see in Psalm 61. Jesus tented. Jesus tabernacled among us. Jesus, in other words, dwelt with us so that we might dwell with him forever. 
Whether you feel it deeply or not right now, may you learn today to embrace your dependence. Do that personally for your own sake. Do that positionally for those who depend on you. May your dependence lead you to cry out to God. May our dependence form us into people of prayer. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, we are dependent and weak and needy. And that is what we come to this table doing every single week is remembering again how desperate and dependent we are. That we could not do anything to atone for our own sin. That we could not do anything to remake the world by our own strength. That we are completely desperate for you to be God and to do work that only you can do. And so we come needy and weak again this morning, but we also come with a lot of joy in our hearts because you are the eternal king sitting on your throne forever, Jesus. You are Lord of the nations. You are Lord over this nation. You are Lord over all the peoples of the earth. And one day, all knees will bow to you. And so lift our eyes this morning. Show us the goodness of our dependence. Help us to take our dependence and helplessness and turn it into prayer. We cry out for you, even now in this moment, to move in power by your spirit in us as we come to your table again. We pray all that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.